Chapter Twelve of The Search by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Twelve. Corporal Cameron did not soon return to his native town. An epidemic of measles broke out in camp just before Thanksgiving and pursued its tantalizing course through his special barracks with strenuous vigor quarantine was put on for three weeks and was but lifted for a few hours when a new batch of cases came down seven weeks more of isolation followed when the men were not allowed away from the barracks except for long lonely walks or gallops across camp even the mild excitements of the y m c a huts were not for them in these days they were much shut up to themselves and latent tendencies broke loose and ran riot shooting crap became a passion they gambled as long as they had a dollar left or could get credit on the next month's payday. Then they gambled for their shirts and their bayonets. All day long, whenever they were in the barracks, you could hear the rattle of the dice and the familiar call of Phoebe, Big Dick, Big Nick, and Little Joe. When they were not on drill, the men would infest the barracks for hours at a time, gathered in crouching groups about the dice, the air thick and blue with cigarette smoke while others had nothing better to do than sprawl on their cots and talk and from their talk cameron often turned away nauseated the low ideals the open boasting of shame the matter-of-course conviction that all men and most women were as bad as themselves filled him with a deep boiling rage and he would close his book or throw down the paper with which he was trying to while the hour and fling forth into the cold air for a solitary ride or walk he was sitting thus a cold cheerless december day with a french book he had recently sent for trying to study a little and prepare himself for the new country to which he was soon going the door of the barracks opened letting in a rush of cold air and closed quickly again a tall man in uniform with a red triangle on his arm stood pulling off his woolen gloves and looking about him nobody paid him any attention cameron was deep in his book and did not even notice him off at his left a new crap game was just starting the phraseology beat upon his accustomed ears like the buzz of bees or mosquitoes i'll shoot a buck you're faded come on now there dice remember the baby's shoes cameron had ceased to hear the voices he was struggling with a difficult french idiom the stranger took his bearings deliberately and walked over to cameron sitting down with a friendly air on the nearest cot would you be interested in having one of my little books he asked and his voice had a clear ring that brought cameron's thoughts back to the barracks again he looked up for a curt refusal he did not wish to be bothered now but something in the young man's earnest face held him y m c a men in general were well enough but cameron wasn't crazy about them especially when they were young but this one had a look about him that proclaimed him neither a slacker nor a sissy cameron hesitated what kind of a book he asked in a somewhat curt manner the boy for he was only a boy though he was tall as a man did not hedge but went straight to the point looking eagerly at the soldier a pocket testament he said earnestly and laid in cameron's hand a little book with limp leather covers cameron took it up half curiously then looked into the other's face almost coldly you selling them there was a covert sneer in his tone no no said the other quickly i'm giving them away for a promise you see i had an accident and one of my eyes was put out a while ago of course they wouldn't take me for a soldier 
and the next best thing was to be all the help I could to the fellows that are going to fight. I figure that book is the best thing I can bring you. The manly simplicity of the boy held Cameron's gaze firmly fixed. Hmm, in what way? Cameron was turning the leaves curiously, enjoying the silky fineness and the clear-cut print and soft leather binding. Life in the barracks was so much in the rough that any bit of refinement was doubly appreciated. He liked the feel of the little book and had a curious longing to be its possessor. Why, it gives you a pretty straight line on where we're all going, what is expected of us, and how we're to be looked out for. It shows one how to know God and be ready to meet death if we have to. What makes you think anyone can know God on this earth? asked Cameron sharply. Because I have said the astonishing young man quite as if he were saying he were related to the president or something like that you have how did you get to know him through that little book and by following its teachings cameron turned over the pages again catching familiar phrases here and there as he had heard them sometimes in sunday school years ago you said something about a promise what was it that you'll carry the book with you always and read at least a verse in it every day well that doesn't sound hard mused cameron i guess i could stand for that the book is yours then would you like to put your name to that acceptance card in the front of the book what's that asked cameron sharply as if he had discovered the fly in the ointment for which he had all along been suspicious well i call it the first step in knowing god it's your act of acceptance of the way god has planned for you to be forgiven and saved from sin if you sign that you say you will accept christ as your savior but suppose you don't believe in christ i can't commit myself to anything like that till i know about it well you see that's the first move in getting to know god said the stranger with a smile god says he wants you to believe in his son he asks that much of you if you want to get to know him cameron looked at him with bewildered interest was here a possible answer to the questions of his heart why did this curious boy have a light in his face that never came from earth or air what was there about his simple earnestness that was so convincing another crap game had started up on the other side of them a musically inclined private was playing ragtime on the piano and another was trying to accompany him on the banjo the air was hazier than ever it seemed strange to be talking of such things in these surroundings let's get out of here and walk said cameron i'd like to understand what you mean for two hours they tramped across the frozen ground and talked arguing this way and that much drawn toward one another at last in the solemn background of a wall of whispering pines that shut them away from the stark gray rows of barracks cameron took out his fountain pen and with his foot on a prone log opened the little book on his knee and wrote his name and the date then he put it in his breast pocket with the solemn feeling that he had taken some kind of a great step toward what his soul had been longing to find they knelt on the frozen ground beside that log and the stranger prayed simply as if he were talking to a friend thereafter that spot was hallowed ground to cameron to which he came often to think and to read his little book that night he wrote to ruth telling in a shy way of his meeting with the testament man and about the little book after he had mailed the letter he walked back again to the spot among the pines and standing there looked up to the stars and somehow committed himself again to the covenant he had signed in the little book it was then that he decided that if he got home again after quarantine before he went over 
he would unite with the church. Somehow the stranger's talk that afternoon had cleared away his objections. On his way back to the barracks across the open field, up through the woods and over the crest of the hill toward the road as he walked, thinking deeply, suddenly from down below on the road a familiar voice floated up to him. He parted the branches of oak underbrush that made a screen between him and the road, and glanced down to get his bearings, the better to avoid an unwelcome meeting. It was inevitable when one came near Lieutenant Wainwright that he would overhear some part of a conversation, for he had a carrying voice, which he never sought to restrain. "'You sure she's a girl with pep, are you? I don't want to bother with any other kind. All right. Tell her to wait for me in the Washington Station tomorrow evening at eight. I'll look for her at the right of the information booth. Tell her to wear a red carnation so I'll know her. I'll show her a good time all right, if she's the right sort. I'll trust you that she's a good looker. Cameron could not hear the response, but the two were standing silhouetted against a distant light, and something in the attitude of the other man held his attention. For a moment he could not place him. Then it flashed across his mind that this was the soldier chambers, who had been the means of his missing the train at Chester on the memorable occasion when Ruth MacDonald had saved the day. It struck him as a strange thing that these two enemies of his, whom he would have supposed to be strangers to one another, should be talking thus intimately. To make sure of the man's identity he waited until the two parted and Wainwright went his way, and then at a distance followed the other one until he was quite certain. He walked back thoughtfully, trying to make it out. Had Wainwright then been at the bottom of his trouble that day, it began to seem quite possible. And how had Ruth MacDonald happened to be so opportunely present at the right moment? How had she happened to turn down that road, a road that was seldom used by people going to Baltimore? It was all very strange, and had never been satisfactorily explained. Ruth had evaded the question most plausibly every time he had brought it up. Could it be that Wainwright had told her of a plot against him, and she had reached out to help him? His heart leapt at the thought. Then at once he was sure that Wainwright had never told her, unless perhaps he had told some tale against him, and made him the butt of a great joke. Well, if he had, she had cared enough to defend him and help him out, without ever giving away the fact that she knew. But here, too, lay a thorn to disturb him. Why had Ruth MacDonald not told the plain truth if she knew? Was she trying to shield Harry Wainwright? Could she really care for that contemptible scoundrel? The thought in all its phases tore his mind and kept him awake for hours, for the crux of the whole matter was that he was afraid that Ruth MacDonald was going to marry Lieutenant Wainwright, and he knew that it was not only for her sake, but for his also that he did not want this, that it was agony even to contemplate. He told himself, of course, that his interest was utterly unselfish, that she was nothing to him but a friend and never would be, and that while it might be hard to see her belong to some fine man, and know he never might be more than a passing friend, still it would not be like seeing her tied to a rotten, unprincipled fellow like Wainwright. The queer part of it was that the word rotten, in connection with his enemy, played a great part in his thoughts that night. Somewhere in the watches of the night a memory came to him of the covenant he had made that day, and a vague wistful reaching of his heart after the Christ, to whom he was supposed to have surrendered his life. He wondered if a Christ, such as the stranger had claimed he had, would take an interest in the affairs of Ruth MacDonald. 
surely such a flower of a girl would be protected if there was protection for any one and somehow he managed a queer little prayer for her the first he had tried to put up it helped him a little and toward morning he fell asleep a few days later in glancing through his newly acquired testament he came upon a verse which greatly troubled him for a time his eye had caught it at random and somehow it lodged in his mind forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any even as christ forgave you so also do ye somehow the principle of that verse did not fit with his proud spirit he thought instantly of wainwright's distasteful face and form it seemed to loom before him with a smug triumphal sneer his enmity toward the fellow had been of years standing and had been deepened many times by unforgettable acts there was nothing about wainwright to make one forgive him there was everything about him to make one want to punish him when the verst first confronted cameron he felt a rising indignation that there had been so much as a connection in his thoughts with his quarrel with wainwright why anybody that knew him knew wainwright was wrong god must think so too that verse might apply to little quarrels but not to his feeling about the way wainwright had treated him ever since they were children that was not to be borne of course those words he had called cameron's father how they made his blood boil even now no he would not forbear not forgive wainwright god would not want him to do so it was right he should be against him for ever thus he dismissed the suggestion and turned to the beginning of his testament having determined to find the christ of whom the stranger had set him in search on the fly-leaf of the little book the stranger had written a few words and ye shall find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart jeremiah twenty nine thirteen that meant no halfway business he could understand that well he was willing to put himself into the search fully he understood that it was worth a whole-hearted search if one were really to find god as a reward that night he wrote a letter to the minister in brinehaven asking for an interview when next he was able to get leave from camp in the meantime he kept out of the way of wainwright most adroitly and found many ways to avoid a meeting there had been three awful days when his peach of a captain about whom he had spoken to ruth had been called away on some military errand and wainwright had been the commanding officer there had been days of gall and wormwood to cameron for his proud spirit could not bend to salute the man whom he considered a scoundrel and wainwright took a fine delight in using his power over his enemy to the limit if it had not been for the unexpected return of the captain a day earlier than planned cameron might have had to suffer humiliations far greater than he did the bitterness between the two grew stronger and cameron went about with his soul boiling with rage and rebellion it was only when ruth's letters came that he forgot it all for a few minutes and lifted his thoughts to higher things End of chapter twelve